Hey, what is up, everybody? This is your boy, King Mo, along with John Reyes for the opening set podcast mania excursion. Today's a very special episode because we're kind of doing like a greatest hits of season one, all nine of our guests that we had. And I guess this serves as a, uh, I don't know if you haven't heard opening set, you kind of check this out to get an idea of the level of conversation we're doing. And if you heard all episodes, this can be like a uh, greatest hits for you. Sit back and enjoy some of the highlights of the season pass. And again, get ready for season two. We're working on it right now. And as always, before we get into the meat of this uh, veggie burger, some housekeeping. Follow me on, uh, you know, damn near every platform, SoundCloud, MixCloud, Bandcamp, under King Most. Actually, uh, hey, King Most for Instagram and King Most for everything else. My man, John Reyes, he goes on SoundCloud as John Reyes, J-O-N-R-E-Y-E-S. Shout out DJ Marley in the background. I don't know if she's on social media yet. Hopefully not. She's a three-year-old. You, uh, <laughs> uh, you can also follow John Reyes on Instagram under the handle of Stank Palmer. Oh, also, if you want to connect with us directly via the old-fashioned Gmail, we had an opening set podcast at Gmail. And once again, subscribe We're on iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, MixCloud. Are we on Spotify yet, John? Aha. We're on Spotify. All right. So there you go. Marley, you want to add anything to the conversation? Okay, she just she just turned her back and went, Ooh. Okay, picture this. San Francisco, California. I decided to start a podcast. And my first guest, none other than Jay Espinoza, who, if you do not know, he just won the USA Red Bull final again. He's going to be competing, I believe, in, uh, let's say, Taipei, China. I'm not sure. Fact check this, John. Okay, John Dred, our also uh, unofficial fact checker, agrees. So yeah, I asked him at the end of our podcast about his future, his career, and where he sees DJing can go for him and other people. So what is next for you then? It, not just DJing, but I think a question I, I ask a lot of friends, what are we going to do in five, 10 years? Do you still plan on DJing? You're trying to exit out? You're trying to transition? You have no idea? Or what is it? All the above. I kind of have no idea. Is that, is that kind of keep it real? And so. I think it's okay. I'm not, I'm not mad, but I, I do think about what I'm going to do. I've been seeing guys that like I'm cool with that are like doing more behind the scenes shit, but they're still in like the music scene. I think that's dope. So I don't know what it is, but definitely like trying to be the front man is kind of like cool for a while. But then, you know, if you're a DJ, you're trying to promote yourself. It's very like, it's about you. There are guys like doing behind the scenes shit that are making more money than the star. Yeah. Whoever is the front man and doing great. Yeah. You know, I'd rather be that guy. But right now I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm cool with what I'm doing. But in five years, I don't know. We'll I think, see. Yeah. I think five years is still, you, you still got plenty of gas in the tank. We'll like, see. Man, we'll 10, see. 10, 15 years. That's when, yeah. that's when things really have to kind of settle in. But you're in good hands, man. I, you, you'll be all right. Trust me. I, I could tell. You've been doing this for so long and what you've accomplished. And I think you're, you're self-aware enough to know, okay. I know what, what I should be doing. What yeah. I shouldn't I'm be not doing. looking for anything, but I feel like my whole life, I've always just kind of like walked into opportunities. Like not that I planned on any of this shit happening. I feel like it just happens. And hopefully, you know, there's going to be something else that I'm going to walk into and we'll see where that takes me. But I don't know what it is. Yeah. Well, opportunity always favors the prepared people. So, yeah. So, and you're a prepared person. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> So I asked him that question because the whole purpose of this podcast is to start asking DJs more serious questions, things that we may all be kind of scared to think about or even answer. So him being the first guest and him just, you know, winning championship after championship, 
I figure he might give some more insight and a little more clarity on the question of what are we going to do in, you know, five, 10 years when DJing shifts and we get older and trends change and other champions come out. So I like all these episodes, Opening Set Podcast, but I like the episode with DJ Neil Armstrong a little differently because we kind of got into a lot of kind of New York City DJ history, a lot of history that I, uh, you know, that was formative to me as a young person growing up in the early 2000s in relation to hip hop, underground hip hop to be specific, as well as uh, DJ battles and turntablism. So here he kind of talks about how the early years of turntablism and battling was more about the spirit of competition, the love, as opposed to now, which we may be more about money and clout and things like that. Back then, we weren't making money. Okay. <laughs> That's not why we did it. We did it because we did it. This is a side note, but if you look at a lot of the turntablists who are out today that are battling, they're kind of used to this thing where you get flown out and they'll pay for your hotel and you'll win prizes and you'll win monetary prizes. Or social media clout. Yeah, well, I mean, usually you do. Like if you do the GMC, you get your flights covered, you get X, Y, and Z covered, you get a, a prize, sometimes money. I don't remember what the Goldies got, but you get something. We didn't do that. We didn't win nothing. When we battled the Bee Junkies, the ITF, like Alex, so Alex Aquino, he gave us like 500 bucks for five of us to fly over here, you know, like, because there was no money. We did it. We did it because we loved doing it. The first time I met Shortcut, he was battling at the New Music Seminar. Later on in life, you know, I saw him wearing the shirt. Or I don't know. We just talked about it. I thought that was the coolest thing that he did that battle. And that's actually why I DJ, because I saw Shortcut in his battle, like a Filipino kid killing it and no one cared what color he was. You were just cheering him on. And so I was like, yeah, I can, I could do that. I think I could do that. But we were talking about it. He's like, man, you know what I got for that battle? I paid $1,000 to get there. I paid $1,000 for that shirt. Like all I yeah. got was this shirt <laughs> that says NMS. That's what I want from that. You know, and you don't think about it that way. Like Babu didn't make money. <laughs> Rhetmatic didn't make money. Not battling. We are hemorrhaging money. For the art, I'm bringing this up, I guess, because I think money always screws things up. And I'm happy about what the turntables community is doing now. And, you know, like Red Bull, and I think it's great. I think it's cool, but I will always rather see Babu do his blind alley. You know, I'll, I'll always rather see Craze do one of his old routines, you know, just slaying it. It's just different when there's no money involved, when your motivation is just to kill it. You know, it's just a different thing. You can't argue that. Old classic X-Men routines, I'll take them over a lot of stuff that are out now as well. The old stuff that like during the Allies when they were battling, the team routines that like the ISP made up. Oh yeah. I remember the first time I saw the ISP versus X-Men video. Yeah. That was, that changed my life. Yeah. I remember I got a bootleg video. They didn't make money off of that. No, that, that was, I yeah, guarantee you they didn't make money that off of bootleg that. bootleg as hell. Yeah, I was there. Like I'm, yeah. I'm like in the corner. You could see me bobbing my head. It was just literally done purely for love. And now it, it's really different. You know, the motivation that people have are just really different. So speaking of turntablism, we're talking about early 2000s at the time. You know, DJ battles were the all the rage. You know, hip hop was like rugged and very hardcore. So to get somebody that comes from that world all of a sudden to do something completely different 
R&B mixtapes and sample classics and things like that. That really got him on the comfort zone, but also kind of moved his career to the point where we're talking now Jay-Z and Coldplay. And so check out his recount on that experience. I put out a mixtape with <laughs> Don't Look Any Further and uh, Bernard Wright. Who and, do you love? The, who do you love? Yeah. yeah. And uh, Juicy M. Toomey. And those are more obvious stuff, but you know, soft, like, like those are R&B. Like, those are classics now, At the, by the well, time you were No, saying... they were classics, but not for a turntableist kid, uh, not for a kid who listened to, to Wu-Tang and was walking around with Timbo's on. My boy, Daddy Dog, he would always make fun of me. He's like, yo, what is this soft shit? Like, <laughs> eventually that would become my yard, my yard stick, right? If, if Wally made fun of me, uh, Daddy Dog's real name's Wally, if he made fun of me for my mixtape, then I knew it would be good. But yeah, so I made Sweet, and again, you know, I didn't invent the wheel. I didn't reinvent the wheel. But a turntablist kid who was from the battle community was not making mixtapes like this. They just weren't. Other people were like Jibo the Pro, who actually I quoted, I gave props to because they're the guys who inspired me to make Sweet. I made Sweet. People liked it. And for a very long time, and you would see me at Milk, I wasn't making a lot of money doing the gig, but I was making a lot of money selling my mixtapes to like Amoeba. Yeah. Like a lot. Yeah. No, like I said, when I, when I, when I, those people that were outside the DJ world, outside like the intense hip hop world that they had in their car or in their dorm or in their house, it's like, you know, this is something. Yeah. And so that's, so that, and that's where the whole condominium thing comes in. Yeah. You're, you're pushing weight. Yeah. yeah I, you really I guess somehow trunk. that became my thing. I became known as whatever, this mixtape DJ with a turntablist background Eventually, my mixtapes ended up in the right people's hands. Here at the podcast, we're really trying to like answer more questions about DJing, not just you know technical stuff, but more kind of bigger picture things. So that's really why I wanted Neil to kind of talk about getting out of your comfort zone. I mean, it really worked out for him. He went from, again, the battle DJ to now a DJ that's selling a lot, a lot, a lot of CDs at the time, things that kind of move his career along. As a note to ourselves, we should always kind of remember to get out of our comfort zone, try new things, don't be afraid of failure, invest in yourself, not just monetarily, but also kind of just, you know, give yourself the proper due. So one of the boxes I want to check off with Opening Set Podcast is kind of talk about, you know, the crazy lifestyle DJs kind of participate in, you know, mostly alcohol. And for some, like our guest, DJ D Sharp, you know, he realized in this uh, point of his life, alcohol wasn't really necessary anymore for his DJing or to have a good time. When we first started dating, she's Catholic. Uh So then it was like, yo, Lent's coming up and you got to give something up. And I'm like, Lent? What the hell is Lent? Like, I don't, you know, I'm from Oakland. I don't, you know what I mean? So then, you know, I grew up Christian, but not like Catholic Christian or whatever, right? So then she's like, yeah, you got to give this up. So I was like, all right, cool. She's like, I'm giving up fried food and alcohol or whatever, right? And I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to do the same thing. Nice. And that's what I did. I gave that shit up and then I didn't go back. And it was ill. And that's been how many years now? Right now, going on eight years. Eight years. Seven, eight years. Not eating fried fish? <laughs> I, I mean, I've kinda, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to do that too. Yeah. Fried fish is every once in a while. But alcohol is done. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was easy. It was never a problem. It was never a, a, It was never a problem. Yeah. Or, no, a, a, but a thing. the thing was with touring, yeah. and you know this, with DJing and like... Mm. You know, you get drink tickets or you get a bottle and, you know, and and we work three, four nights a week or sometimes, you Uh know what I mean? So like if you out there every single night and you drinking like 
man, it takes its toll on yeah, you. Yeah, you, you know feel what I mean? it. You, you feel you it. You feel that yeah, shit. You yeah. know what I mean? And one of the best things about not drinking was just my money started just looking better. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It yeah. was like crazy. Yeah. So it was basically, it was all pluses, no minuses, except all for the pluses, like, no oh, I don't drink and someone's going to give you, oh, come on, don't be a pussy. Or maybe if you that. Got, bro, I, if I've that. had that so many times and then it always turns into them like, yeah, I'm going to quit. I've been meaning to quit. Or they <laughs> they give you the... Uh, That's a good idea. Maybe you know, I should do yeah, that too. Because I quit too months ago for a week and then I started back. That's not quitting. That's just, that's just, our producer John's point is Well, I think it's funny because I haven't drank, I think since like November. Nice. I don't miss it. I think actually on Sunday, I went out with my girlfriend and I think I had a drink and like a little beer and I was like, you know, I'm good. Before yeah. it would have been like, yo, what's the shots? Yeah, like, yo, the where's shot? the blunt? Let's yeah. get some Let's edible. Get yeah. yeah. And yeah. Then, 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 I don't know, you just at one point you realize, truthfully, sometimes it's just self-medication. Sometimes it's really just habit. You know what it was with me too? I had a good set without drinking. Yo, that's the best, dude. When yeah. I had a good set without drinking, I was like, oh, I don't need to drink. No. No one really needs to no drink. No one needs to drink to have a good... Like, I used to think back when we were always working together, yeah. uh-huh. a lot of cats would get at me like, yo, we want you because you're on the mic. Yeah. And I think the drinking helped me on the mic a lot. I believe that. I'm not on the mic like I used to be. Oh, word? I, I, I mean, know. I still do, but I'm not like how I used to be. Okay. You know what I mean? That's so, one of the like, things I, I loved about you because you would be... I would be too shy at the time and like, you know, let, let Derek speak. Like, <laughs> right, let him right Shout him out. David not, Ali, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. like, uh, shout out David Ali. That's yes, fun. Yeah. But now I do it. It's the same way. Like, I've had nights where I killed it on the mic, uh-huh. killed it on my set, and I'm good. And the reason why I asked DJs about the whole alcohol, drug use, or, you know, lack of it is because, uh, I don't know. This thing, it kind of takes a toll on us sometimes. And sometimes that kind of shapes and affects our moods. You know, in regards to DJing, you know, after the club and stuff like that. So it's always good to kind of get an idea of how other people are kind of coping if they need to or just uh, their attitude towards alcohol because it does play a huge role in nightlife. And continuing talking about self-care, our guest, Morse Code, guest number four, by the way, he continues to talk about self-care, balance, and kind of knowing your limits with partying. You know, as the years go by with DJing can... It's kind of insane when you think about it, like how so many aspects of it could be so potentially bad if you don't, yeah, like you said, take care of yourself. It's like you could ruin your back. You know what I mean? It's like, think about what you're doing. All you do is just sit hunched over in front of a computer all day and then go to work and hunch over standing like, turntables, stand there, like do weird shit with your arms for like four or five hours. Uh-huh. Like, like lights like, blaring your face yeah, and the speakers like, super loud in your ear. <laughs> And then you ingest like 1,500 calories of just pure sugar. Yeah. And they get all like, oh, what's going on? What's up, baby? Yeah, man. Don't give it a second. It'll start working. So, out. yeah, you know, things like, yeah, like stretching and hiking and working out and all these things have, to me, enabled me to have a way more effective just balance in life. You know what I mean? And I think that's really what it's all about, as cliche as it may sound. At the end of the day, just know yourself. And know your limits and take care of yourself and have balance. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a good time, especially when you're DJing. Sometimes it can really enhance. Hennessy forever. (laughs) Hennessy more Hennessy. It can can really enhance the fun, of course. You know, we've all been there. But yeah, it's like, you know, it can be a slippery slope for some. And some people can get carried away. (laughs) And and then then (laughs) what I always laugh about is anytime somebody's so drunk and they just think they're killing it so hard. And it's like tap on the shoulder, like, hey, bro, like, 
you're not killing it. Like, you're in the fact, water. <laughs> can you, you fucking reel it in? Yeah. Like, oh, my <laughs> can, bad. Can you dial it back a little bit? Like, like the time uh, you played Duke. <laughs> I always mess with you about this stuff. No, we've all done it. I mean, I, I'll be the first to admit, like, damn, I really should have maybe not do that. But I'll, like, try to learn hey, from you got to live and learn. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why I always say, like, no regrets. <laughs> no, no regrets. No but regrets. The, the key is you have to you have to learn the lesson and absorb it and then actually incorporate it into your life. Yeah. I wanted to share Morse code's input about alcohol and drinking because his is a little different than D-Sharp's. Uh, he does drink and so do I. But we try to have a good head on our shoulders about it. Never kind of let the uh, alcohol kind of take control of our personality or our DJ sets that night. So again, it's not, a, you know, we're not judging anybody, but uh, always make sure DJ's out there. Drink a little water, take a little break, kind of, uh, you know, pace yourself. It's not a race, it's a slow marathon. And as the uh, incense keeps burning on the self-care segment, we talked to our man DJ Excel about how the much needed mellow vibe of California kind of calmed him down, uh, you know, compared to his 80 miles an hour East Coast upbringing. For an East Coast dude, you're very zen. I've noticed that you're very kind of like- I think California just flipped my whole head up. Really? Were you kind of a high-strung guy from Philly a little bit? Wow. I think Are you fighting people or uh, no, it's not like I got into fist fights with people. It's just like I think living in Philadelphia, just being back there for two weeks, like there's a lot of aggression. There's a lot of like the pressures on your neck at all times. Because it is. You know, it's a very like doggy dog city. Uh-huh. And not just DJing, but in general. Just just in general, just in life. Okay. You know <laughs> Getting I mean? a cup of coffee, you get your yeah, get knocked yeah, aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think when I got to California, like the first few things I saw was just the pace was different. And it was a little bit more enjoyable. People were a little bit more open to like just get to know you out on the street. And maybe it was because they were looking to see how could you help them. But at the same time, like you can find out if they can help you. And I've met so many people just being out and about. And I think little by little, I started to develop just a different way of looking at things and a different way of thinking. And and then it became foreign when I would go back home and I would try to tell my friends like, yo, like, you know, I'd explain things the way I'm explaining them to you. And then they'd be like, yo, fuck that, man. You'll like, punch them. Yeah. And it's just like, I, I get it. But people it like this. You know what I mean? And some people caught it and some people left. And they and they saw it once they got out there. They had to go through a motion of getting settled and all that shit. But then once they did, they were like, yo, I, I get it. Like, I see it. I don't have to run it 80 miles an hour every day. I can run it like a cool 60 and still be doing more than most people are doing. And it just makes you kind of feel a little bit relieved. So another question I want to ask DJs here is that... You know, we talk about career stuff. Like, what do we be doing, you know, our lives? And I realized Excel got a really good answer. And he kind of created this common ground between people that work as DJs and people that kind of work regular everyday jobs. This idea that we really don't know what's going to happen. You know, like a DJ can lose a couple of residencies just as easily as someone could lose their factory job or they can get their company could get bought out or acquired by a bigger company and they themselves lose their job. So it was kind of comforting to figure out like, hey, to know that the guy next to me on BART or, you know, walking along the street has the same kind of fears that I sometimes have was reassuring in a very weird way. So uh, shout out to Excel for giving us this kind of jewel. So you don't have any anxiety for your future? I mean, or- of course, absolutely. As you get older and that becomes more apparent that it's an issue, it can drive you nuts. I mean, you know, because you're an adult and now you're like, yo, this shit is real. Like, I don't have anything else. But... At the same time, I've seen people who 
have went to college, got a degree, had a job, and the floor gets pulled out from underneath them, you know, just as well. And they got to figure out what happens. They lose their job, they get laid off, and they can't find another job. Or the industry gets packed up, automated, whatever. So what really happened is the more I started to focus on that side of it, and the more it would drive me a little nutty, the more I realized no one has security. So on opening set, another thing I want to let the people know is the idea of DJs knowing their value and how important it is. You know, we spend hours practicing, hours looking for music, hours networking, hours, you know, throwing our own events. So if you're doing all that, it makes no sense in undercutting yourself. Not only are you not knowing your own value, but you're also kind of undercutting your fellow DJs. And that is definitely not anything you want to do. So here, our friend Amir kind of breaks that down a little bit. If you're passing up, DJs like yourself passing up a seven hour, $100 gig that you're not going to take anyways. What does it matter if some person that takes it, what is the negative impact? Well, the negative impact is that, you know, all these bar owners, all these venues, they all talk, you know? And so they're like, well, you know, Hey, um, so-and-so took it for a hundred dollars. Why should I be paying you more than that? And so it, it's a cyclical effect, you know, it, it starts to go around, you know, and then also a lot of these places, even if you do get, you know, Let's say two hundred fifty dollars, three hundred dollars for seven hours. Fuck, that's dude, that. Even to me, we're lucky out here. We're like, no. Yeah, because the thing is, is like, even if you get that, then it's, the equipment is shitty as hell. Okay. The mix is fucked up. You know, this is why I've, I've a lot of gigs I've had to do the gig doing instant doubles. Oh, because one they, turntable doesn't work. Well, they just have one turntable. Okay, and instant doubles is a function. Serato, our kind of go-to DJ program that basically it's like a ghost turntable, so yeah. you can go back and forth and whatever. Exactly. I see that a lot for mobile gigs. Then I got this right. the controller, which right. is, I feel like is the C, the dirty C word now. In yeah. DJ sometimes. I mean, you know, it's whatever, but it's like you know, so you you dealing with that. The, the sound system is like so bad that your ears are bleeding, and people are like, well, you know, you can get two free drinks. And I'm DJing for seven hours and I'm getting a hundred bucks or whatever. I'm like, dude, you guys are really fucking cheap. Man. Yeah. It's like, I barely even drink. That, that sounds offensive to me. Yeah. Know? So it's like, people don't care about DJ culture. There are some places like, I really love DJing at Output and um, yeah, in Brooklyn. Are, they do some crazy lineups. Like yeah. World class stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I've been lucky enough to open for Q-Tip, Giles Peterson when he comes to New York. I've opened for Cut Chemist, Nightmares on Wax. Bambata in the big room and the Panther room because they have three different rooms. They have the big room, which fits like a couple thousand people. Then they have the Panther room, which fits like maybe, you know, 500. And they have a smaller room. I don't remember the name of that one, but it's a smaller room. But they treat you properly. They ask you what your rider is. You know, like I'm always like, you know, I'll take a bottle of vodka. I just, <laughs> and they, they, it'll be right there. Uh-huh. They have Serato. They have nice. whatever mixes you want. And they also pay you on time. There's no hassle. There's none of that. I want to be a mirror when I grow up. But yeah, I want to be just like <laughs> So I'm just like, you know, that's one of the great places, you know, and those are, are those uh, relating back to the question, uh, you know, the hustle of New York DJing, is that those are few and far between. That is yeah. not the norm whatsoever. Yeah. No, that's not definitely not. And not for me. I mean, you know, like if you can talk to Spinner, I know Spinner, like, you know, a lot of times we we all go through the same situations. It's, it's tough in New York, man. It doesn't matter what kind of name you have. It's tough. And that's why a lot of us go overseas and we take that money. All right. As we continue along with this opening set, season one, highlight reel. We had the god, Rich Medino. Uh, one of my favorite conversations I had uh, in the series. And I know normally you're going to expect me to kind of talk about, oh, him doing this awesome gig in some foreign land, playing the most brilliant, obscure records. But he kind of blew all our minds when he talked about 
him doing weddings. That's right. No slight to him, no slight to any wedding DJ. I'm a wedding DJ myself. But it was really cool to, you know, see like the greatest, one of the greatest DJs ever openly admit without hesitation saying, yeah, I do weddings and I'll turn them out. I'll give you the keys to the cuffs. One fresh, crispy jewel. <laughs> okay, well, that's what we're here for, man. When dealing with wedding bookings in your technical rider, you need to ask the bride and groom and their parents for 15 songs apiece that they absolutely must have in their life on their special day. And you're golden. Nobody will bother you. More or less, yeah. I was able to learn that early on. I learned that this is not about me. This is not King Mo's day. This is Jenny and Michael's big, yeah, or and their aunts and their Godzilla, Groomzilla, La Abuela, first time in the country, Uncle Johnny that know everything about everything, all of that. Uh huh. Yup. Everybody's Zilla. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Family Zilla. Yeah. You know, Drunk uncle at the bar overdid it. Zilla. Be a gentleman, do everything they say, take that bread and kick rocks. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> get, get out your feelings. It's their feelings. Yes. Let them have their feelings. It's their day. Y'all want to be mad and pushy and aggressive on this is special. This is a special day, huh? Yeah. You put your aggressive ass. All right. <laughs> Great. Where's Charlie at? Charlie got the check, right? Great. You need right now. You want that song now? Got you. Piron. Quest line wide open. Let's go. You know, it's not the club disposition. It's yeah. not like chill. Let me do my job. It's more like what? How can I help you? Yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm Patrick. Right. Yeah. Oh, right away. Right away. Here's, Rock out. Here's Rolling Stones uh, or whatever. I don't whatever they want, man. And when you play those records that come from all you know, both sets of parents and both people, everybody's getting touched. They gave you their shit at some point. In a day, if you hit him in the head with this shit, you Michael Jordan for the next 20 minutes. Good. <laughs> you just got to keep hitting that jumper. It's easy. Weddings are fun. Yeah, I love I mean, that's how that funds the operation. That's just <laughs> fun as hell. Do you still do weddings? Absolutely. For real? I just did two in the last three months. You know what's so wild? I think a lot of us are so scared and fearful to say, yo, I do weddings because there's all this crazy stigma. They think we're the guy with the tuxedo and the gloved hands and all that dumb shit. Wow, I'm so surprised you would do weddings. I Absolutely. Think I think you're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you're work, so sad. Fam. Yeah, money's money. You have, you have that child. work. Yeah. It's work, man. That's like New Year's. Sometimes better than New Year's. Rock solid cream. It's cream in that business. And it's an in and out usually. It's a one-off. And you get fed. Get fed. Referrals. Get to get fresh. You get fresh, come through. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes go do somebody's wedding and come through proper, fresh dipped. You know, this motherfucker, there's a, there's a style motherfucker in his family or her family. They just going to holler at you just off the of styles. That might fuck around and be some work. Might fuck around and be a whole other connect. You just don't know. Turn that two grand into 30, 40 grand. Walk around. You just don't know. You never know. So are you at these weddings, are you Rich Medina or you're Rich Medina? Are you, I, I, how do they, I mean, is it really just the, uh, yeah, what's the More kind often of, than not, if I'm doing a wedding now, I'm doing a wedding for someone who's been a fan of mine for a minute or has been a long time friend of mine, more often than not. Mm -hmm. But you still got that blurred lines, Robin Thicke. Right? Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. They get that wobble, all that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's not my chamber, but wedding day, your grandmom's doing a wobble. The whole family wilding out, happy, doing the wobble. Let's go. It's fucking brilliant there. I want to hear that shit at Mighty. You know what I'm <laughs> or saying? Or Great Northern. Great Northern. Oh, great yeah. Northern. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. want to hear that at your party. Unless it's that time and you want to hit the reboot and you got up a, a couple of jokes off over the night and this is your joke record of the night and we do that and that has a place then. 
Yeah, it's a dosage game. Man. man, I feel so much cooler and okay with doing weddings knowing that you do them. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I, was just, money. I was just glad, like, oh, yo, I, I do this to living because of weddings. So money, John bro. does them too, our job producer. He's like, yeah, man, give me that Get twelve money. to $2,000. Let's go. So as Rich was describing, you know, the DJ is the life of the wedding or the nightclub or whatever event you're at. But just because we are, you know, the party machine does not mean that we don't have critical thoughts about things that really matter, especially in the year 2018. Here's our friend Rich Medina talk about the United States in the, I guess, the greater global sense. Check it out. Before we start recording, we talk about Europe and I think Americans, we kind of look at, I mean, maybe not as much as we're used to, or at least personally speaking, looked up Europe as like very idealistic and oh, they're so open-minded and accepting and they are, but it's not- they're just older colonizers. <laughs> you know, America is, like, America is like an 18 year old diesel bully in a room full of 60 year old dudes that used to be the diesel bully. And they're like, fuck you, homie. Give me that shirt. I want the laces out your kicks. I want the fucking plastic wrapper off your cigarette box. You know, that's what America does to people. We walk in a room, we pop shit because we got the biggest fucking guns and we really don't give a fuck what you think. This is what we want. This is the way we want it. Do it. Roll or get rolled on. Uh, and while in Europe, it's a little more subtle. Well, or... we are also the police of the world to a degree. Just the execution of the job of policing will make you be a dick at times. <laughs> when, when you got to be, when you're doing your job, you know, sometimes you got to be a dick in that position. I don't think anybody can argue with that. It's not an argument to say that police are dicks. I'm not tripping. Mm -hmm. Bear with me. <laughs> Bear with me. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. Uh -huh. you know, if you got to stop people from doing bad shit, sometimes you got to put a different face on to close the deal and to get the goddamn job done. It's just what it is, right? So there's a little bit of license that comes with that power and that pushiness because you do got the gat. You do got the badge because I said so type shit. You know what I mean? There's something to that. And... We do it for the world. Some of these other places are not quite as militarized as we are, and they're dependent on our military and trade relationships and you know geopolitical ramifications and relationships that go on. They're all dependent on America in a certain way. And that marks a difference in uh, capitalism, democracy versus you know socialism in some European countries where people are easier because you could break your arm and walk in the hospital and you'll get the absolute best medical treatment on the planet for nothing, for free. You know what I mean? So there's, there's certain shit that we stress over. You know, people in certain places, they're just not thinking about that shit, you know, because of the way their medical system works. They can, got a cough, go to the doctor. What, 10 bucks, a little copay, take your little pills, whatever, you rocking. Here, you know, you're on your own. You got to take a motherfucking SAT just to go get your teeth fixed. <laughs> or get a loan you know to pay for that. I get a loan and to pay get for a that. loan yeah. to take the fucking Kaplan test so you can take the SAT <laughs> before you get your fucking. You know what I'm saying? Like, what the fuck? So, yeah, we carry a lot of shit with us. Those of us that call ourselves, you know, I don't know, progressive or or out here living and doing our thing, quote unquote. You know, as Americans, we got a lot of shit with us. And sometimes it's glaring. You, you go to Europe and you see Americans that haven't traveled a lot, lost in the sauce for whatever reason or thriving and having a fantastic time. You see Europeans that feel a way about Americans or you could be standing next to somebody and as soon as they hear the American accent, they're completely 
taken aback. You know, you see it all. Mm-hmm. You see the whole gamut, but trouble's where you find it, man. Yeah, also how you kind of uh, carry yourself too. Yeah, trouble's where you find it, bro. Yeah. Yeah. You know? You can be in a room full of people that you know forever and get knocked the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, whatever. Might as well get out and just do some shit while we're around some people that don't speak your language and try some food you didn't have and see how this shit works over here. Oh, that's different. That's interesting. Absorb it. Take it in. Bring some of that shit home with you. And hope to come back. Hope the ass back. Try to, to come back again. and, mm-hmm. you know, get some more. So the thought here at Opening Set is also thinking globally, not just, you know, in the club, thinking, you know, outside of ourselves. So here, our friend Nina Soul talks about the responsibility she feels she has, and maybe we should all kind of follow suit about understanding the music, especially when it comes from other parts of the world, understanding the music uh, and the circumstances, what came before it, how it fits, and how it fits to maybe other scenes around the world. I've been doing just like a lot of, I guess for lack of a better term, like global. Mm-hmm. Even <laughs> I don't know how to describe I, it. Like, yeah. I don't know what I to say call global it. bass. Global bass, but it's like electronic music, but it's got like, you know, it's by funk. It's like, you know, it's Cuban, it's South African and Guam and just like all these sounds that to me like kind of go together and make a lot of sense. But I wouldn't really know how to describe to yeah, someone. Yeah. It's definitely made me hungry to like go back and be like, okay, so like, how did this start, and what records influenced that? And go, so go back to your okay player Napster exactly. kind of mindset. Yeah, like See? go on a tour, like go to South America, like oh, try you're to learn. Literally go, not just virtually, but yeah, no, like wow. go and just like for me, it's like I really want to. I feel like a responsibility when I play certain records. Like I want to actually know enough about the record or the artist or the genre or the time period to really do it justice. And I find that sometimes like, especially in this like age of SoundCloud where it's like so easy to just like download something and you're like, this sounds cool. And you're like able to I play I see 20 it. songs that sound something <laughs> yeah, like this. Yeah, like this. The kind of go There's a shaker. Okay, yeah. it's global. Like, wait, fuck, fuck. And so I think there's a part of me that is also just like really curious about like the diaspora. And obviously there's like African folks all over, you know, Latin America and the Caribbean. And so how that all comes up and shows up and how it all fits together. So I think I'm curious about that. I had a really I've had some really fun sets um, that I've done over the last couple of years that kind of like started that process and kind of like digging into like even just like, you know, since Nigeria and Ghana and like all these compilations that have come out where it's like, you know, disco and boogie and funk and it sounds so similar to music that was coming out in the U.S. Like, you know, James Brown heavily influenced. And so it definitely has made me curious about like, huh, like we're getting this spoon fed to us through this compilation. But like, are there other countries? Are there other places where we have a similar sound? And how do we tie those together and tell that story? Like, I think that also excites me. Yeah, actually, so, when I had Richard Dean on on a previous episode, we kind of talked about compilations towards the end. And all these compilations that we both enjoy, they're usually always done by like British, like white men white here. And so I feel there's, I don't know, I think my issues are kind of, I feel sometimes things get lost or little subtleties that if you're not, of that heritage or lineage or some type of connection, yeah, it gets forgotten, overlooked, and it's such, and it, it could tell a fuller story or tell like a whole different part of the story we never even thought of. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of, that's kind of the same thing I do. Like, we all do our little like kind of researching and trying to find the dots to connect to, but I think that's dope. We're actually trying to go 
like literally to places and know the top, the A to Z about a very specific random genre and stuff. I think my dream has always been, how can I travel the world and DJ? And I think the thing that excites me is that when you travel, like the first thing I do is go to the record shop or <laughs> I find the people that know where the, where the person has the records. Yeah. And I feel like that's like such an intimate way to get to know an area, usually just even the conversations that you have in the record store or the person that took you there and coupled with like, why do they have so many, you know, yeah. Al Jarrell records here? Like that's so random or like whatever it is, yeah. like you just, you know, makes you curious. And then, you know, you ask questions and maybe you find some piece of history that makes sense. And so I think I, I definitely, I love to travel. I love to travel internationally. And so I think um, collecting music and kind of, bringing those stories together um, is another piece of it. So listening back to Nina Soul's interview and we were talking about responsibility, I think that's a very important thing because again, um, I think you really just can't be on the sidelines anymore and just casually go through life DJing and playing music. You have to really kind of start thinking bigger picture and most importantly, uh, things that kind of matter. So that being said, our next segment with our friend, Darling Chuck, I, as a man, I shut the hell up and let a woman talk about her own experiences in regards to DJing. I was talking to my partner about, uh, my girlfriend about, you know, I'm, hey, I'm going to have Darling Chuck on the show, anything you, I should ask. And she said this really cool question. I think this is something I've kind of wondered about too. Has being a woman, has it helped you and has it kind of hindered you at certain points with DJing? Uh, there's its ups and downs. Actually, when I first got into it, I was really surprised that it was still like a boys club because that's how I remember it was when I was living over here. And then once I started getting in the game, I was like, for real? Like, are we still rare? <laughs> Damn, there's like so many. Like, how come I know a lot? How come you guys don't, you know? So it's just like, you know, dealing with that shit. And then there's also like the people who are like, um, you know, we have this special event going on and we just really want like a cute girl to just stand there and like play songs and you know those gigs play a lot of money <laughs> so so uh that worked to my advantage but then at the same time it's like i can also do it like dj for real uh -huh. you and they're know? like and they just kind of like yeah we don't really need Yeah, like care. no it's okay you can put a playlist together it's fine but i'm like no nah, man like get me some equipment i want to play <laughs> so is that is that get your money's worth yeah is that still happening right now in the career of darling chuck uh you know i still get approached for those things but i'm very careful about doing those types of things just because i don't want to that's not how I want to be. That's not how I want to represent myself. Mm. I want to be among like, you know, good people. Yeah. Like you want to be seen as a DJ, not like, oh, you're the girl DJ or the female DJ. Yeah. The female I, DJ. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, yeah. When I see that, I mean, I think again, for me, it being like a guy and who's been around DJing a while, I, I always got to be mindful of how I personally react to these type of things. Cause again, I don't want to deal. I have tons of privilege that yeah. you never have. Yeah. That's unfortunate. But yeah, I think I do still kind of bristle when you guys are kind of, the fact I'm saying guys, see, there you go. We're talking about privilege, things that even are aware of. The fact that you are all kind of sometimes lumped in as a novelty or a curiosity. Right, right. And, and all that stuff. So, if, so the. Kind of like a gimmick. Is that real? Yeah, you know, sometimes like when me and Tara DJ together or if I'm DJing with like another girl, a lot of people just assume that we're like a duo or something. Okay. Well, why? Okay. <laughs> is there did something? There's like a, a female duo that popped off that I'm unaware of. I don't know. I just feel like this. People like people want to see it. I guess so. They just want to like. Okay, so they're trying yeah. to project something. Yeah. Okay. 
So with opening site, we weren't just having a podcast for the sake of having a podcast. We definitely had an agenda, and that was about documenting as many voices and stories as possible. Uh, you know, world champion DJs, legends, up-and-coming DJs, and DJs that identify as women. So with Darling Chuck giving her uh, take and her reality about being a female DJ, she gives her take on what it is to be a working DJ, and I think she hits it 100% on the nose. Check it out. We had to define it. What does it mean to be a working DJ? Well, it's the balance of doing the gigs you like and then doing the corporate gigs. Basically, like working every weekend, always just like trying to find work and putting yourself out there. Because before I was DJing, my perception of DJing was you're just sharing music, you're playing out in the club and stuff, or you're doing radio. And you're probably like opening for an artist or something, and that's it. But you know, social media wasn't really like a thing back then. You didn't have to have a brand. You could, you didn't have to be a personality. Like I feel now you have to be like a lot of other things besides a DJ. Like there's a lot of DJ photographers, DJ producers, DJ models. DJ influencers. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So there's like, like that part of like, you know, managing yourself, managing your time and like trying to get yourself out there on top of keeping up on new music and making sure that you have good relationships with venues and other DJs to collaborate on other things, you know? So it's just like all the time. I think that's what it is to be G- a DJ full time. Is basically it's all the time. So you're not just managing your emotions, you're managing your time. You're, yeah. you're working probably we're, I, I guess I'm, I'm a working DJ and I have to think yeah. we're, we're kind of always working more or less, either going to something, come from something, about to do something, or we just finished yeah. something. Yeah. Managing your crates, you know, like oh, it's yeah, so yeah. much work. Yeah. So working, so it's not like all about, oh, hey, I'm just doing this. Yeah. And, I'm playing my songs. So I wanted to close out this kind of uh, best of episode about the question of working DJ because I'm a working DJ. John Reyes, our producer, is a working DJ. And I know a lot of our listeners are working DJs. So I just want to, you know, kind of highlight and big up ourselves. Our names may not be the biggest, you know, on the flyer. We may not be flying first class, but, you know, hey, we still get ours. So let's all, you know, keep doing our thing and, uh, you know, support each other and, you know, put our best foot forward. And maybe, uh, you know, this podcast has maybe kind of sharpened your knives a little bit when it comes to DJing. Maybe it's kind of, you know, changed your mind about certain things. And maybe you're not a DJ and maybe just a, you know, a casual listener and curious about DJing. Hope this kind of, uh, you know, did a, a positive thing for you. All right, there we go. Opening set, highlight, season one. This is King Most. John Ray is our producer. Season two is coming up shortly. Uh, in the meantime, subscribe, follow, reach out to us if you have any questions, comments, hate mail, love mail, or even if you want to book us, hey, we are definitely down to Jay in your uh, in your you know city. So there we go. Opening side podcast. We are coming back very shortly. Thank you.